Good morning. For scripture reading this morning, Mr. Claude has asked that we read in and around the, the text that he's offered for this weekend, which is found in 2 Corinthians. And I'll be reading 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 1, verses 1 through 11, and then chapter 5. Second Corinthians one, Second Corinthians chapter one, verse one. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God that is at Corinth, with all the saints who are in the whole of Achaia. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia, for we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer, so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessings granted us through the prayers of many. Moving over to chapter 5, verse 1. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. If indeed by putting it on, we may not be found naked, for while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. For we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at, and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others, but what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. 
We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us so that you may be able to answer those who, are, who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all. Therefore, all have died, and he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who, for their sake, died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implored you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Mr. Clyde Byler is here with us, as many of us know, um, from Plain City area, Ohio. If you could come up here, please. He, is, he has pastoral responsibilities at United Bethel, and you can introduce yourself farther if you care to later. Um, he does have a family here with him, so make sure they feel welcome by the time they leave. And I'd just like to pray for you for you. Our kind Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for Mr. Clyde Byler and his willingness to come and speak your truth to us. I ask that you will fill him with your spirit and give him the words that we need to hear from you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. It's a privilege to be here this morning, and um, as I look across the congregation, I see faces that look familiar to me, and I was trying to figure out why, and then I thought about it, that I don't really for sure know names to, well, that's kind of getting easy with my age, too, but I remember that you hosted the convention last summer and did an excellent job with that, and I think probably quite a few of you are involved in that, and thanks, thanks for the good job you did there. I am really happy to have my family here with me. It's not often that we all go together like this anymore. In fact, earlier I thought maybe I was going to come by myself, um, but it worked out. Uh, our oldest son has a little break in his uh, college, and we decided to make a trip to Spruce Lake, Pennsylvania. It's a Mennonite retreat up there, and they have this deal for preachers that you can stay for free at certain times, and this happens to be one of those times, and it happened to work out just right, so we all came, and we're planning to go up there for a few days um, after this, so I'm really glad that my wife, Juanita, can be here, and our six children, and um, they're a real blessing to us. If you want, you could turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We started last evening... Um, talking about getting the gospel correctly 
presenting it right, not in an underhanded way, not in a way that pleases the flesh, not in a way that focuses on getting numbers in, um, but presenting it correctly. And a part of that that we just briefly touched on was the fact that it has to be something that we experience ourselves. The gospel has to be something that we know about, not just some kind of an intellectual exercise. Yes, here's God, here's us, and this the gospel is making that gap, closing that gap between us. But it's something that has to have happened in our heart, where we live with a sense of ongoing sorrow at our humanness, living with a sense of repentance, ongoing repentance, and yet an ongoing joy at his love for us and how he has provided for us. So surely Christians of all people ought to be the most grateful people on the face of the earth, right? It ought to show in our faces... We ought to be the happiest, kindest people. And if we're not, why aren't we? It's just because we've lost perspective. We don't quite have it all. If we really understood all of it, that's one reason for it. It's good for us to take these weekends and just kind of remind us of what the gospel is and then our responsibility with the gospel. And so my goal is not to somehow crank up the pressure to make you feel like, you know, of all the things that I have to do, this is one more. We need to make sure that we're reaching out, you know, making a difference. But instead of trying to add one more list to your already long list of things to do, what I'd like for us to do is to go back to the basic and think about what is the gospel? How does it impact me? And what does it mean for me to be a gospel Holder. And that's what we are. And I'd like to focus on that verse in verse 7. These are two, there's two verses that my dad used to quote to me a lot. And um, they were 1 Corinthians 4-7 and 2 Corinthians 4-7. And he kind of saw them as being kind of on opposite sides. Uh, but in my mind, I kind of see them as saying the same thing almost in a different way. Uh, my dad went home to be with the Lord uh, about two and a half years ago, and um, at his funeral, I used these two verses uh, as the text for the message. Um, it's just a reminder, my dad wasn't a perfect dad. Uh, there was tension in our home at times. I had four older brothers. I talked last night about how younger children tend to get spoiled and uh, in our case, my older brothers thought I was spoiled, too. This, this is how, actually, I would see it. I think Dad was overly strict earlier, and when he got to me, he had the perfect balance, right? <laughs> now, some guys, some of us as parents start out maybe about right, and then we get too loose. And so I don't think that happened in this case, but... Uh, these are the verses, and my dad and I, uh, of the five boys in our family, um, we probably had the best relationship. And uh, it wasn't all because, it wasn't because of my, you know, great skill or whatever in relating to him. It was partly because of work that God did in my life, for which I'm very grateful. But it also had to do with my dad also recognizing the need for relationship. That it wasn't just about 
you know, thus saith Alban Byler, but the need for relationship there. But he would often quote these verses to me. Um, 1 Corinthians 4, 7 says, For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you then received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Kind of the idea that anything good that we have is a gift from God. There's no place for being arrogant. There's no place for being proud. Um, and then he would also quote 2 Corinthians 4, 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Jars of clay. I told the children downstairs that usually, if you have something very valuable, you put it in something strong to keep it safe, right? You, you buy a safe or... I know of people that even build strong things in their basements or whatever to keep things safe. You know, you want to make so that nothing can happen to it. But if you had a treasure like the gospel, would you put it in a jar of clay? Would you do that? If you were God and you had this treasure, this I mean, there's nothing else in the world that can compare to the gospel. And when we're talking about the gospel, we're not just thinking about this, you know, how we could write it out on paper, but we're thinking about Jesus living in our heart. And that we have that idea too. But I like to think about more than just Jesus living in our heart because that, that could be kind of individualistic. You know, me and Jesus, we've got our own thing going. Me and Jesus, we've got it all worked out. That's an old song. Theology is not very good on it, right? I wouldn't recommend it to you. Um, so it's more than just the idea of Jesus in our hearts, but it's the idea of the gospel, which is Jesus, but it's more than Jesus. It's the good news in our heart. I am a gospel holder. You are a gospel holder. Would you put it in something like a jar of clay? And I would say we wouldn't. We wouldn't trust, if we were God, with our limited understanding, we wouldn't trust something this valuable to a jar of clay. And yet he does. And yet he does. So in this verse, we have a pointed reminder of who we are and a pointed reminder of who God is. But this is not how people normally think. This is not the contemporary mindset. There are many things uh, we could talk about that have led us to where we are today um, in our culture as far as how individualistic we are, uh, how much we are into ourselves. And you see it all the time. You know, people, I just heard that there's an app. They're coming out with some kind of an app for people that look at their phone while they're walking that will warn them if there's something ahead of them pretty good idea, I think, because sometimes people are going to bang their heads, you know. Uh, we are really into ourselves. I'm not saying it's wrong to do that while you walk. I guess that's saving time or being efficient, whatever. But all kinds of things have led. I mean, there was a time in history 
way back before the Reformation where you were born and you were part of a church uh, right off the bat. And we, there's, we have some big problems with that. We, so we come to the Reformation. We think the Reformation is really a good thing. Um, but it stresses the individual relationship with God, and that's good. I mean, we don't think that you can get saved in masses and stuff like that. You know, just because your preacher decides to be um, a Christian doesn't mean the rest of you are automatically Christian. So we, we get that part of it. But what has happened since that time is just an increasing emphasis on the individual. Um, even in things like advertising, you have a focus on trying to isolate people, making them feel like they're out of it. If you don't have this latest computer, you are behind. But we have the solution. It's on sale. You can buy it. And then you'll be reconciled again with all of your peers. And so advertising even isolates us into individuals and tries to make us feel afraid. And we... um, And you go on, and even the breakdown of family, I mean, there's so many things that go into it, where today, you know, instead of everybody gathering around a common radio in the living room, for example, like they did in the 50s, you know, everybody can do their own thing. You know, you can have wireless, and you can have everybody in their home doing, I mean, they're all living under the same roof, but they have no relationship to each other. It's a tragedy. And it's happening to us. And I, I, I feel like it's, a, it, it's something that we need to think about. We need to think about how do we keep this individualism from happening. Not long ago, I was uh, exposed for the first time to the teaching of Frank Reed. Uh, probably some of you would know him from SMBI. And um, he gave a talk on postmodernism. And I'd like to just refer to a little bit of that. We're, we're not... We don't see ourselves as clay pots. We see ourselves as kind of the the universe, you might say. I mean, that's the typical way of looking at ourselves. Um, He talks about modernism a little bit, postmodernism. He says in modernism, God died. You know, we focused on if it's not, if you can't prove it scientifically, then it's not real. And so we threw away religion and we tried to live a life without God um, during the time of rationalism. Um, but, but that really didn't fit the human need uh, and the human vacuum for God. And so in postmodernism, God is recreated. And now we can serve God again. And so there's much more of an emphasis on relating to God today. It's okay to talk about God today, right? In the broader world. You can talk about God, just don't define him too closely. Um, Today, and we talked about just a little bit last night, how you can just recreate God, like shave off the parts you don't like, just put them back on on the throne. When you're finished making him kind of the way you want, you just put him back. And then you can worship him, you feel very good about it, because he's the kind of God you like. Um, In that sense, we become God. Um, but we feel not completely comfortable with that. That seems rather arrogant. So we'd rather still create a God that we can serve and feel somehow like we are under him. Um, but really, ultimately, since he is defined by us, we are the ultimate God. 
but we liked the feeling of going to church and sitting through, and I'm not talking about this church, I'm just saying there are churches out there where people have completely redefined God in their own image, taken away hell, taken away judgment, taken away whatever they don't like about God, and then they come to church and they sing hymns, and they, they worship and they preach, they have nice sermons, but they're worshiping a God that they created. It'd be kind of nice, wouldn't it? But wouldn't we kind of like to do that? And yet, that means we are God rather than God being God. Every person attempts to create meaning out of his or her own experience. But then what happens with that is, if we're all God, where's a plumb line? Where's there a sense of righteousness? And you think about it. In the world today, one of the main values is you don't tell me that I'm wrong. Don't tell me that I'm sinning. Don't tell me that my behavior is wrong. Accept me the way I am, and um, we can all get along together. There is no right or wrong in the relative world we live in today. There are some positives to postmodernism, the idea that we are try to be more humble, more respectful of other people. Th those are good things. They probably are even beneficial to us. I find myself being somewhat of a postmodern when it comes to sharing my faith with other people because I tend to, I want to be very respectful of them and where they are at. And in some ways, that's a little bit of a postmodern value. It's not all bad. Uh, but the idea of, you know, how do you, how do you, talk to someone that has a different faith and try to tell them that their faith is empty and it's going to leave them wanting at the, at the time of their meeting with God. But there are some benefits to postmodernism. It recognizes the arrogance of human ideologies, recognizes human limitations. Um, but on the other side, there are some real negatives to postmodernism that Frank Reed talks about. Uh, there's no objective truth. Truth is relative. There's really no plumb line to measure anything to. There's no real structure. Um, you know, moms, dads, parents, this, the, you know, it's all social constructs, things that are open to change. We can change them. I mean, you know, forget that the Bible says this is the way God wants it to be. Marriage is a social construct that we came up with to try to make things work out. But we can change it. It doesn't matter. If we want to tweak it, um, that's part of postmodernism. A, a, a significant part that really relates to where we're at here is there is no meta-narrative, meaning there is no bigger story. It's really all about me. And I would say that this aspect of postmodernism has affected us because it fits. It fits with our natural human desire to just have life be all about me. All stories are important, but there is no big story that goes over everything. So when it comes to evangelism, this really affects us because is my life about me? Or is it about being part of God's story? 
one of the things that, that Frank said that weekend was, would I, are we willing to be ruined, I don't know if he said it quite like that, but something like that, ruined for the sake of God's story? And I thought about that. You know, how much time do I spend focused on how my story doesn't make sense? I mean, something's not working here. What's wrong with this story? God, where are you at? I, I need some explanation here. My story, the, the line isn't, you know, suddenly we crash and it's not going right. But what about his story? What about the bigger story? Can you think of somebody in the Bible whose own personal story was ruined, but it fit into God's bigger story? Anybody? Some come to mind? David and Bathsheba. Yeah. God redeemed that story. It, David's own personal story had some very negative consequences there. Hosea. Yeah. His own personal story was shambles. I wouldn't want it. Would you? I wouldn't want that story. And yet God was using Hosea's situation to paint a picture of his relationship with the children of Israel. Anybody else? Solomon. His story was, didn't end up right, didn't go the way it was supposed to at the end, and yet God uses that to show us about our own. Think about Ecclesiastes and the things that you can learn from that story. Or even about how Solomon ended up. It teaches us something about ourselves. Well, this is Mother's Day. I think of a mother in the Bible. Mary. Naomi. Sure. Yeah. How her story was not a... It wasn't the kind of story you'd want to write for yourself. And yet God uses it. And we can see redemption in it. We can see the story of Ruth and her loyalty and all of that. Um, and Mary. Mary is someone that, you know, all her life carried a stigma. Oh, you're the, yeah. Even late in Jesus' life, they said, the leader said, well, we weren't born in fornication. So there's this stigma that Mary cared, carried with her that wasn't even fair to her. Not at all. It wasn't, it wasn't something she deserved. It wasn't like, you know, she probably would have liked to have it somehow be different, but this is the way it had to be. I mean, you had to have a young virgin that would have a child without there being a marriage, and yet, humanly speaking, we'd say, uh, something's fishy about this story. It doesn't line up. And yet, that was the way the incarnation came about. It's a beautiful Story. We're very thankful for Mary's willingness to say, uh, be it unto me according to thy will. Be it unto me. After she said, how can this thing be? Uh, can you see how postmodernism, this kind of shrinking of the world to where it's just about me. Now I can create my own playlist. I think Brother Steve talked about that uh, at the music weekend. 
you know, I, I can just do exactly, I can have everything that I want, and I can just focus on my own little world. It's just all about me, and I don't have to worry about anybody else. That's not at all, that's not at all the way God wants us to see ourselves and to see the gospel. Uh, so we, we need to reject the kind of postmodern self-adoration that goes along with our culture. We need to reject it and decide, I don't want to think like that. I want to think differently than that. Whew, I just looked at the clock, and it is my enemy this morning. So uh, let's make some points here from the last part of chapter 4. I'd like to write down a few things here. Number one, we are gospel holders. If there's anything valuable about us, it is the gospel that is in us. Jars of clay, we hold treasure. We are not the treasure. We hold treasure. We are not the treasure. I need to remind myself of this regularly. It's not, it's, it's like I need to transform the way I look at myself. I need to keep, and God is on that journey of helping me with that. Does he do that with you too? Kind of teach you along the way that life is really not all about you. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's about his story, and I want to fit into that. And this goes on to say, secondly, that difficulty reveals the gospel better. It actually shines better when we go through difficulty. He says, um, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may be also manifested in our bodies. So when we go through difficulty and we respond correctly in those because of the treasure that's in our heart, that helps other people see. That's why the early church was a Tertullian who said the Blood is the seed of the church. The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. When people saw how they handled difficulty, they saw the gospel. They could see it. Like, oh, that's what it is. When they see me running around, living a life of ease, doing the same sorts of things that they do, just a little more cleaned up or whatever, do they really see the gospel? So, shall we pray for persecution? I don't know that we need to. I think we ought to just recognize that we are gospel holders. And if we are willing to share the gospel, we will suffer persecution. Things will happen to help people be able to see that. A lot of times we don't suffer persecution. And maybe this is a little bit of a misconception for us here in America. We tend to think somehow that, and there is some truth to this, um, but not completely. We tend to think that the reason we don't suffer is because we've been part of such a godly heritage here. And there is some truth to that, although that heritage as a country is waning. 
I mean, and we're starting to get to where we are going to see more opposition to genuine Christianity. We, well, we see it already. But we also don't suffer sometimes because we choose not to suffer. We choose not to let the treasure shine out. We choose not to be willing to speak, but we keep silent when there's opportunities to say what the gospel really is. And we have those opportunities. Uh, and sometimes we choose not to, to use them. When we suffer and we respond rightly and people can see the gospel, it shows how dear, how precious that gospel is to us. It shows us how dear Jesus is to us. I don't know how many of you have read the book Let the Nations Be Glad by John Piper. I recommend it to you. Um, I probably wouldn't agree with everything that he teaches. He's probably a little bit more Calvinistic than what I would be. But he has one of his main statements that he's known for, he wrote in his book called Desiring God, is that God is most glorified when we or I am most satisfied with him. So he calls himself a Christian hedonist. Like it's okay to pursue pleasure, that's hedonism, but we pursue pleasure in God. You know, we tend to somehow think, oh, you know, pleasure is bad, but I need to be committed to God. No, pleasure is actually found in God. And somehow we've missed that. And, and I think he makes a valuable contribution to the conversation on that. And so in here he talks about um, the supremacy of God through prayer, through worship, and also through suffering. And I'd like to just read the the kind of his concluding remarks on suffering, it kind of brings it all together. God himself is the fullness we live on and the fountain of life that we commend in missions. He is our treasure. His steadfast love is better than life. Therefore, the greatness of his worth is seen most clearly when we are willing to give up our lives for the sake of his love. We measure the worth of a treasure by what we will gladly give up in order to have it. The extent of our sacrifice, coupled with the depth of our joy, displays the worth we put on the reward of God. Loss and suffering, joyfully accepted for the kingdom of God, show the supremacy of God's glory more clearly in the world than all the worship and prayer. Therefore, God ordains that the mission of his church move forward not only by the fuel of worship and in the power of prayer, but also at the price of suffering. If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Difficulty reveals the gospel better. This passage goes on to talk about the fact that in verse 14, knowing that he who raised up the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus. There's a famous sermon preached quite a while back by an African-American brother called, It's Friday, but Sunday's coming. And it's a good reminder for us that it's Friday, I mean, there are some aspects in which we experience the resurrection already, but there are some ways in which we are still in the not my will, but thine be done. I am willing to suffer for you. But Sunday's coming. 
Sunday's coming, and we live with that hope. And we'll get into that tonight as we look at living with an eternal perspective. The promise of the resurrection gives us hope to endure the trials. You can see that also in Philippians chapter 3. And then lastly, the end result of us recognizing that we have this treasure in clay vessels is that thanksgiving will abound. And I already referred to that in our understanding of what the gospel is. But look at that in verse 15. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving. I think the old King James says redound. And it has the idea to superabound is the Greek word, to increase, to superabound in thanksgiving to the glory of God. Isn't it thankfulness that brings God glory? You know, when the, when the story is all about me and it's not going quite right, I lose my thankfulness. I'm not a very thankful person. But when the story is bigger and it's about God and that I am a clay pot that holds this treasure, then I can live a thankful life even if things are really, really difficult. And that's actually when the gospel shines. It's not about us. It's not about us. It's about God. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you have chosen to allow the gospel to reside in us, that we hold the gospel. Father, forgive me for ways that I have lost sight of the bigger story, the story of how you want to see many come to know you. And forgive us for where we think only in terms of our relationship to you and not your concern that others also have that relationship. Lord, give us a bigger picture. Lord, help us not to live somehow with just the idea that if we can get the American dream that somehow we've accomplished it. Help us to look way past that sort of dream. Help our dream to be bigger. Help us to dream of people that have never even heard of you someday being able to worship you because they've found out about your love. And that there will be many around your throne from all nations worshiping you because some were willing to suffer to be part of that bigger picture. Lord, help us to be there. Help us not to be stuck on our own picture. Help it not to be about us, but help us to live to bring glory to you. In Jesus' name, amen.